This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of an evil hippo and the hero that stands against him. You'll learn how making friends with your local dog walker can help you fight monsters and how if Pokemon actually existed, the world would be a terrifying and brutal place. The creature is the Babamik, a bloodthirsty monster who learns that the most terrifying thing of all is raising children. This is Myths and Legends, episode 241, Hippopotamaster. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week, it's a standalone story from the Sorko people, one of the people groups who was part of the Songhai Empire, and this group was known for their fishing ability on the Niger River. The Songhai Empire was in West Africa and reached its peak around the 15th or 16th century, so maybe we can place this story then, but it's not really connected to anything historical, so don't really worry about it. We'll jump in with the hippo that has been terrorizing a village and the young man hired to take him down. The young man crouched in the tall grass surrounding the Niger River, watching the hippopotamus, the river horse. It was larger than he expected, but he had killed bigger. He had killed everything. Dragons, giant crocodiles, wizards, anything that brought pain, destruction, and chaos to the land was what he was called on to fight. He smirked. The funny thing was, he hadn't done anything special really. He was just brave enough to go into the dark after the monsters, only to discover that the monsters were nothing more than normal. The dragons were scared lizards. The giant crocodiles were regular crocodiles, made massive in the mind by panic. The wizards were twisted old men who delighted in cruelty. The young man rested his spear on the ground and unlooped the bow from his shoulder. Everything, no matter how big, powerful, or otherworldly, everything died. His job was just to help it along. And this? This was just a hippo. He climbed the tree overhanging the river, careful to stay out of sight. He crept out onto a branch, balanced himself on the wood, and drew an arrow from the quiver at his belt. He steadied his hand, knocked the arrow, drew it back, and let loose at the one spot he knew would kill this thing quickly. The hippo dropped. But not in the way the young man had expected. It froze the moment the young man drew back the bow, ducked and rolled, and the earth seemed to rumble with it. The boy lowered his bow as he crouched, jaw agape. Then a smile curled on his face. Well, you're a fast one, the young man said, glancing down to where he left his spear. He looked back up at the beast, but notice that the hippo was following his eyes. He froze his brow. Did, did this hippo know what was going on? He didn't have time to think through the implications, because the hippo, now appearing to be three sizes larger than it was when the young man shot the bow, roared and charged. The young man dove from the tree. He had to get to his spear. He hit the ground, rolled, and found himself before a wall of hippo. The creature had grown tripled in size since the young man had seen it triple in size and now wait 
Were those ovens? Ovens formed on the creature's back, and they flashed life with flame. The young man couldn't quite believe what he was seeing. There, there was wonder in the world after all. He narrowed his eyes. Too bad it had to die. Nana Miriam sat on the riverbank with her father. She had seen the hippo eating the rice fields, as it did every day. Her father hobbled over and took a seat by her. Oh, hey, there's that new hero-type guy that they got to fight the hippo, Faramaka asked as he grunted to a seat. How's that going? Nana Miriam saw the hippo the size of a convention center light the fires on its back. Ten of them this time. She glanced down at the young man, the hero, just in time for him to become a silhouette in the flood of flame. When the fire stopped, the hero's bones fell among his ashes. Uh, it's not going well, Nana Miriam said. The hippo shrunk back to its normal size and shuffled back to the rice fields. The men who hired the hero rushing to put the flames out before they spread. This hippo would destroy the village, not by carnage, but by starvation. Don't worry about it, Faramaka said to his daughter. Everything has its time. They should get back to her lesson. Nana Miriam was Faramaka's only child and her training had started one warm morning three years ago. She sat by the river with her father, and he pointed at the fish. He would ask her what that fish was that swam by, and that one, and that one. She told him each time, but he only shook his head with a grimace. No, not the type of fish, the sex of the fish. Nana Miriam was confused. The sex of a swimming fish in murky river water. Faramaka nodded like that wasn't a ridiculous ask, pointed to the fish, and named the sex of each one. He told his daughter she needed to learn to see. Once she could truly see the world around her, not only would she know, but she would have power. And so, Nana Miriam learned to see. It was difficult, of course, but she was a quick study. And three years on, in her late teens, she rivaled her father. About six months ago, the hippo had arrived, and the father and daughter knew it for what it was, instantly. Through a rare combination of magical forces, a monster had been born. Whether it was an actual hippo that had discovered the power, or a demon that took the form of a hippo, they didn't know. But they saw its wrath. It devoured the rice fields, all of them, and anyone who tried to stop it was incinerated, trampled, or devoured himself. They had banded together one time and surprised the hippo, the whole village making a stand against one of the monsters of the unknown, but the thing turned into a mouse and darted into the reeds. Their celebration was cut short by even more trampled and devoured rice fields the following morning. Faramaka, Nana Miriam's father, had hunted the beast. The monster had caught his spears, melting them in pots that popped out of his back like some fifth-generation Pokemon. Faramaka's magic was the only reason he was able to walk away. Though, Magic can only go so far when a hippo the size of a Mack truck is jumping on your body. So, Faramaka walked away with a permanent limp. Now, the village was looking at moving. It was a tragic and harrowing prospect. This had been their land for generations, and the journey to find a new home would be a long one. The neighboring peoples were nice, but not like 
Let the neighbors live in their family room permanently. Nice. That night, back at home, Nana Miriam smelled the air and walked to where her father was cooking and, wait, what was all this? That was a lot of rice and meat for the two of them. Her father sparked a grin. Oh, it wasn't just for the two of them. Just then, outside, they heard a cacophony of barking. Nana Miriam looked to her father. He didn't. He rushed to the door. He did! Nana Miriam followed with a groan. Her father, despite criticizing the town for looking elsewhere for their salvation, for inviting hero after hero to fight the hippo, was now gushing over Karadiji Malfasifasi and his 120 hounds. As Nana Miriam walked up to the hounds, she found that she looked up to them, not like they were role model dogs or anything. They were the size of horses. 120 horse-sized dogs, Nana Miriam said, nodding approvingly as she looked over the field of dogs. Not only did this sound like a Reddit thread, but they might actually have a chance. Thanks for coming, Faramaka, the father, said to Karadiji Malfasifasi. The warrior asked the father if he had the fee ready. With a grin, Faramaka went in and got the first pot of rice. Who's hungry? He yelled out to the hounds. They bayed, wagged their tails, and jumped as he flung rice out like Napoleon Dynamite feeding a llama. Your fee is... feeding your dogs? Nana Miriam asked the dog owner. And he shrugged. Yeah, he has 120 horse-sized dogs. That stuff's expensive. The next morning, the trio walked to confront the hippo with 120 horse-sized dogs. Why do you have them all on separate leashes? Nana Miriam asked. Wouldn't it make more sense to have one big leash, one that branches off into smaller leashes? That way you're not pulled in 120 different directions? The dog walker said that this gave him more control. This way he could decide which dogs to loose when. Does it usually take more than one dog to win a fight? Miriam asked she would soon learn the answer to that question. They were in one of the far-off rice fields, one of the few still remaining, and they found the hippo there, bent down, munching at some rice. It looked up, barely registered the field of horse hounds in front of it, and continued eating. Hounds, attack, Faramaka said, pointing at the hippo. The animal didn't even look up, and the hounds didn't move. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I guess that's your thing, isn't it? Faramaka said to the hound's handler, who let the first hound go. The animal, already salivating, barked and charged. We'll see how all that doggy destruction went, but that will be right after this. Well, what did we learn? Nana Miriam said to the two sheepish men when the trio returned home. Nothing? Really? You're going to make me run through this little postmortem. This, oof, she sighed. This 
literal post-mortem. Karadigi Malfasifasi exploded into tears. They were dead. All of his dogs were dead. Faramaka, the father, patted his friend on the back. It wasn't his fault. Yes, yes it was, Nanny Miriam said. She told him, after he let the first 10 go one by one, after the hippo had crunched each one of them with the same amount of effort that we would give to a piece of popcorn, she told Karadigi Malfasifasi that he needed to let all the dogs go at the same time so they could surround and overwhelm the hippo. He told her to know her place or something, that he had this. Well, congrats, all of his dogs were gone. She hoped he had a plan B to guy who runs a scary large kennel. Not the worst part about a hippo eating 120 giant dogs. That is actually the worst part. But what added insult to the death was that after the hippo ate the dogs, it went right back to eating the rice fields. It wouldn't even take a day off. The dog handler left in tears to go update his resume. And Nana Miriam and Faramaka were left alone. The father and daughter went out to lay on the riverbank. They didn't have enough food for dinner. They used the last of it, feeding 120 horse-sized dogs, and rice was exceedingly scarce in the village. They would need to find an alternate soon, or they would die. As they laid next to each other, looking up at the clouds, Faramaka said that they would need to leave soon. If 120 dogs couldn't hurt the thing, in addition to all the heroes that had tried and died, Maybe the river horse couldn't be killed. Nana Miriam sat up. She said, yeah, she was going to go for a walk. Faramaka nodded. Yeah, he kind of wanted to be alone too. They joked, but watching 120 dogs get chewed up by a giant hippo, that sticks with you. He would be okay, but he just needed some time. Nana Miriam patted him on the shoulder and rose to her feet. She started walking to the north toward the village. She looked back until she was out of sight of the river, where her father laid processing all the doggy death, and when he was out of sight, she moved west and looped back past their house. She was going south. She was going to see it. Hey, what's up? The hippo asked Nana Miriam when she walked up to him chewing at the rice fields. You can talk? Nana Miriam asked. Well, uh, kind of, the hippo clarified. That you can hear me is probably more accurate. Magic? You do magic with your dad. I can kind of tell. You seem like the type. By the way, I am a shape-shifting hippo who can make oven jets on his back. You're kind of amazed about the wrong thing here. Nana Miriam thought that if she could talk to the hippo, she might be able to reason with it. She said that he was killing the village by eating all of their rice. Ah, bummer. Hey, the hippo asked. One question. Did Nana Miriam ask to be born? Nana Miriam shook her head. No one does, right? The hippo said through a mouthful of food. Well, neither did he. He was born, though. And you know how much energy it takes to run 10 ovens on your back to defend yourself from guys trying to kill you? Nana Miriam said, no, but that didn't mean, oh, didn't mean what? That I, a hippo, can't defend myself if someone attacks me eating the one food source that's both calorie dense and hurts absolutely no one? Like, am I going into the village eating people or something? No, I'm hanging out on the outskirts eating rice. I would say leave me be, but you all kind of have no choice. 
No choice, Nan and Miriam asked. The hippo shook his head. No, he wasn't saying that he was invincible, but he was kind of pretty much invincible. I mean, he just ate 120 dogs. New record, by the way, and not as filling as you'd think. No one can kill me. You humans obviously don't respect me, so I can and will continue to do whatever I want. The hippo swallowed the rice and bent back down to eat. I can kill you, Nana Miriam said. The hippo looked at the girl and laughed. Laughed and started to light the fires on his back. Unlike all the others, she didn't shirk away. She kept looking right in his beady little hippo eyes. Sure you can, little girl, the hippo said to the grown woman. Maybe come back tomorrow, though. I kind of had my fill today. The fires on its back ignited, coming together and growing into a pillar that expanded out from the hippo. It came to rest on the ground, not burning the rice, and expanded outward, giving the hippo a comfortable space to eat without being disturbed. Or so he thought. Within minutes, his walls of flame flickered flickered, and fell. The fire turned to water in an instant and dropped to the earth. Miriam stood, waving her hands and finishing up the last of her incantations. Her eyes snapped open, and she looked directly at the hippo. One of them was going to die today, and it wasn't going to be her. The hippo's giant nostrils flared. He squinted his little pinpoint pig eyes and charged in the absolute opposite direction. He didn't need any of this. There was something about that woman, something that filled him with a deep, abiding terror. By the way, the land speed of a non-magical hippo can get up to 31 miles per hour. Usain Bolt maxed out at just over 27 miles per hour, to give you some context. After a short sprint, the hippo was far enough away to throw up some walls. The ground rumbled. Nana Miriam rocked back and forth as the rice field parted and iron walls grew from the dirt. They stretched high into the sky, enclosing the hippo. Nana Miriam heard a low laugh echo around the chamber. Nana Miriam, though, was just beginning to realize her power. She waved her hands, set an incantation, and transformed into a smith, which, yeah, seemed a little weird to me. A smith isn't so much another form as a skill set, but... It's a story about a magical hippo with ovens on its back, so let's just let it go. Anyway, Smith Nana Miriam made short work of the wall. After she conjured a bellows, hammer, and anvil, she smashed her way through just as the hippo flowed out underneath her feet. The hippo had transformed itself into a stream and was now making a break for the river. Nana Miriam took off after it, and though the water could move, it didn't matter. It was nearly to the river's edge, when Nana Miriam waved her hands, and the water was gone. The creek that the hippo had turned into slid into the cracks of the riverbed, but there was nowhere else for it to go. Knowing that it could move faster as a hippo, the creature changed back and took off in a full run toward the Niger River. Nana Miriam might be able to dry up this tributary, but not even the hippo's magic could dry up the Niger. From there, it could rest, reform, and come back and destroy this woman and her entire village. The hippo was so busy congratulating himself that he didn't notice another wall until he slammed his head into it, bleeding after running into a wall at what, for a non-magical creature, would have been breakneck speed. 
the hippo staggered backward to see Nana Miriam finishing her incantation. She said that there was nowhere else for this hippo to go. She should thank it for helping her realize her true power. Really though, she was just going to kill it. Nana Miriam? Both of them heard. The hippo and the woman turned to see Faramaka holding a spear pointed at the hippo. Did, did you do this? Nana Miriam? Faramaka asked, gesturing with a budding smile to the river, the wall, the bleeding hippo. His girl. He was so proud. The hippo, though, smiled a wry smile of his own. He turned not toward Nana Miriam, but toward Faramaka. The hippo charged. Faramaka wouldn't die shirking in fear. If he was going to be eaten, he wasn't going to be an easy meal. He gripped his spear, braced himself, and gritted his teeth for the gaping maw that, just this morning, had gulped down 120 horse-sized dogs. But the hippo froze, inches away from his spear point. The hippo scraped at the dirt, but couldn't get to the father. Nana Miriam was gripping its foot. She couldn't get in front of the beast, but she could get there fast enough to grab it and stop it. She held it, and it scraped the dry riverbed as she pulled it away from her father. Her hands and arms glowed with the otherworldly light of her incantations as she started spinning the hippo, the monster that had killed so many and plunged a village into famine, was helpless against this power. It went around and around over her father's head. Miriam spun and spun and spun the hippo and then released. It flew into the sky. And soon, neither Nana Miriam nor her father could see it. In fact, the story says that to find the place where the monster crashed to the earth, someone would have to march every day for 10 years. The creature that had plagued their village was gone and it was never coming back. Nana Miriam flew to her father and hugged the man, weeping. She was so glad that he was safe. As they embraced, Faramaka patted her on the back. He could hardly believe it. It was over. Nana Miriam had done it. We'll see that the fight may be finished, but the threat might still be out there. That, once again, will be right after this. Hey, so, I was in town just now, Faramaka said to Nana Miriam, as he knocked on the door to her workshop. Did she make an announcement in town, telling everyone to come to the river? She shook slightly as she spoke. No, no. She made an announcement in every town. Um, okay, the father said. Then he looked to her workbench. Oh, she had been in here for 40 hours straight. What was she working on? Nana Miriam was wide-eyed. She was working on a solution. On safety, so that nothing like the magical hippo would ever happen again. The father forced a smile. Nothing like the hippo would happen again. He was dead. You can't fall from low orbit and survive, not even if you're a hippo with back ovens. It had been six months since she had killed the monster and saved everyone living along this river. 
Faramaka himself had taught the people the songs about his daughter. Her name would live on forever for this brave act alone. Like he said, it, it was over. She stood, her fingers stained by the powder that she had been working on. She got up in his face until she was mere inches from him. It wasn't over. She turned. The fight with the hippo revealed something to her, that she was blessed with a great power. When someone has a power of such magnitude, it carried with it a duty of equal magnitude to use that power responsibly. She looked to the ground. There had to be a more succinct way to put that. Anyway, her responsibility was to her people, to her father. When that hippo charged him, oh, she knew she had to do this. She produced an egg out of her hand, what she had been working on at her workbench. This was her solution. There was a murmur from out front. The father emerged to see members of the village, all the villages, assembling on either side of the river. I hope you left your weapons at home, friends, because you won't be needing them today. The father jumped when he heard Nana Miriam yelling out behind him. Some of the people nodded that they did leave their weapons at home. Others set their spears and arrows down. Nana Miriam walked to the water's edge and said that they never needed to worry about another hippo attack. With her magic, she will be able to get rid of all of them with only this. She held up the egg. The people, she called out, had only to feast. She dropped the egg in the water and light shimmered out from it. She stood, eyes fixed on the ripples, smiling. The people looked at each other. I mean, cool rainbow lights, but when was the feast coming? Then a lump, a small island surfaced in the river. The crowd around it jumped back when they saw that the gray mass had eyes, but then relaxed when they saw that those eyes were fixed open. The hippo was dead. Nana Miriam told the fight that erupted to calm down. This wouldn't be the only one. She pointed back out to the river. As far as the people could see, dead hippos were surfacing in the Niger. Nana Miriam raised up her hands and told the people to feast. For hours, people came to drag the bodies of the hippos from the water, to slaughter them, to smoke and sear the meat. The people feasted on the hippo meat. Nana Miriam had saved them from the hippo that attacked, and she had saved them from every possible future hippo attack. None of them would ever threaten her father or her people again. Weeks passed, and the river was clear. Only the hippos had been killed. The frogs, fish, birds, even the crocodiles, everything else flourished. But something, something strange was going on. Where have you been? Faramaka nearly hit the ceiling when, tiptoeing into his hut, he found Nana Miriam sitting up, waiting for him. He chuckled, nowhere, just out for a walk. Tell me, Nana Miriam said, not echoing her father's chuckle. Since when does a father need to explain himself to his daughter? Faramaka asked. He would tell her nothing. Nana Miriam rose and reached into a pouch at her side. That's what she thought he would say. She went to the threshold and sprinkled powder from the pouch onto the dirt outside and muttered an incantation. The footsteps, the path that her father had walked, glowed in the night. It stretched off next to the river, beyond Nana Miriam's sight. Nowhere looks like it's awfully far away, she said. She swung her pack around her back, 
the one that contained little more than hippo jerky and a dagger, and, without a goodbye, left her father standing in the doorway. He hesitated for only a moment before rushing off after her. It took a little over three hours, following the glowing footsteps, until Nana Miriam arrived at a second, larger hut, far in the country to the north. She felt the outside. It was a wooden pen. She said another incantation, and a hovering light glowed above her. She unhooked the gate and entered the darkness. There, she saw two beady eyes staring back at her. The father, jogging, arrived at the gate, winded, as his daughter drew the dagger from her pouch. Now wait, Faramaka said. Nana Miriam turned. What was he doing? Was he harboring it? Was he caring for it? Faramaka nodded. For them. She, the hippo, was pregnant. Nana Miriam couldn't believe it. After everything she had done for the people, for him to keep him safe. For you, Faramaka stopped her. For your fear. I don't know what it was. If it was when the magical hippo charged me or from something that happened in the fight. But you've taken things too far. People who are doing okay don't wipe out entire species. Nana Miriam lowered her dagger. But what if another came? What if it came after him again? Then we'll handle it the way we handle everything. Together, the father said. But these hippos weren't the ones that deserved to die. Nana Miriam sheathed her dagger. He was right. She had been scared. She had been scared for him. She had taken things too far. Nana Miriam, I thank thee, the hippo called out. Thou hast given me life. Uh, you're welcome, Nana Miriam smiled. She turned to her father. Could all animals talk? Wait, this wasn't the same hippo from before, was it? She drew her dagger again. The father held her dagger hand as the hippo cowered at the edge of the enclosure. No, he didn't think that we were supposed to read this as the same hippo that attacked them before. Just that they were like, just that they were like Dr. Doolittle. If Dr. Doolittle could only speak to hippos he was about to kill. Oh, that, that tracks, Nanny Miriam said, and then turned to the hippo. Uh, you're free to go. I can tell you that because I guess you understand human speech. Or maybe you understand hippo speech. The pregnant hippo replied with a wink before waddling out of the enclosure. Nana Miriam cocked her head. Well, that didn't make any sense. Nana Miriam and her father began the long walk back home in the dark, side by side. And Nana Miriam would forever be known as the destructor and the source of all the hippos in the world. So that's the story of Nana Miriam. Fun story, right? Good little resolution there. Everybody happy. Hugs all around. Great place to end it, right? Well, if you feel that way, you probably just want to fast forward to the creature of the week. Because all those love and hugs, that's not how Nana Miriam's story ends. This wasn't in the version I found, which I linked on the site, but one that I found later in a textbook. Apparently, after everything was finished, the hippos returning, and the land was at peace, Nana Miriam met someone. Fono. Fono was a good kid, and they were happy. But Faramaka 
was worried. All that magic he taught Nana Miriam, that was his old family secret, his 11 herbs and spices. If that got out, that will be it. So he sat Nana Miriam down and made her promise to never reveal the family magic to anyone. Since her father was her father, and her betrothed was just that, she agreed. After all they had been through, she would honor his request. She wouldn't be known throughout the land without his magic, after all. Well, things change, in that Nana Miriam married the man, and he became her family too. It also didn't help that Faramaka was showboating, kind of literally. When the father and son-in-law went out fishing, Faramaka would return with a full boat, laughing and berating his son-in-law's empty boat, telling Fono not to worry. He would take care of the man's family for him. Then, one day, a year or so later, Fono returned with a catch bigger than Faramaka. Soon, all of his catches were bigger than Faramaka's. Nana Miriam had consulted with a holy man and asked to whom she owed a greater duty, her husband or her father. The holy man replied with the former, so Nana Miriam taught her husband the magic. One morning, Faramaka was in bed with a fever. Fono told him not to worry. He could fish for the both of them. Faramaka winced and watched with a sneer as the man left. And Anna Miriam remained behind to care for her father. When Fono was gone, Faramaka rose from the bed, his fever having disappeared like magic. He asked Nana Miriam why she would do this to him. Her family. We don't know what she said. But I imagine that she replied that Fono was her family. He was Faramaka's family. It wasn't fair to shame him each day when Faramaka was over there fishing with the cheats on. So yeah, she told her father that she taught Fono the family magic. But once again, there was nothing to fear because he was family. <sighs> Faramaka did not see it that way. We don't know what exactly went down, whether Nana Miriam was unable or unwilling to fight back. I like to think unwilling because, one, there was no way Faramaka could rival his daughter's power, and two, there was no way, after everything they had been through, Nana Miriam would harm her father. She dropped her hands and head and prayed for her father's mercy and kindness to shine through. It didn't. In a flash, Nana Miriam, the savior of her people, was burned to ash. Fono returned that evening to Faramaka playing a game with his daughter. It said that Fono quickly saw through the ruse. There wasn't any magic. Faramaka simply bought an enslaved woman and forced her to pretend to be Nana Miriam. I mean, if you came home and there was a different person saying that they were your spouse, you'd hopefully realize that pretty quickly. I think, though, that Faramaka wanted Fono to discover that Nana Miriam had been killed and challenge him to a duel. The next day, the pair rowed their boats out on the Niger and had a final battle. They unleashed all of their magical powers, transformed, it was pretty epic, and shot down the river toward the sea. Neither ever returned from the duel. And Nana Miriam's story, that of a woman who discovered her power and saved her people, ended in tragedy. The last little bit is interesting, but I like where the narrative ended the first time around, so that's why we ended it there, really. Next week, we're in Albanian folklore, where we'll learn that you should be nice if you meet someone with tiny eagle wings in their armpits. You just might need help with that dragon fight the next town over. If you'd like to support the show, we still have a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of costume hobbit feet, basically slippers that have hairy feet on them, 
you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that if someone already has hairy feet, won't put you in like a Russian nesting doll situation, but with hairy feet. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is Babamik, of the Arapesh people in Papua New Guinea. Now, the Babamik is your pretty standard, horrifying evil ogress. She eats children, she attacks travelers, she flicks her sweat on you like an inconsiderate jogger. Apparently, the Arapesh people saw sweat as unclean and repulsive. Basically, the takeaway point is that the Babamik is bad. Two women met another woman on the road and didn't realize that they were talking to the Babamik. They didn't realize she was an ogress, because she had stolen the skin of another woman. The two women pretty instantly learned that it was the Babamik when the stranger asked to hold one of their babies and bit off its leg. Yeah, pretty solid clue that you're dealing with an ogre. One mother wrenched her baby back, while the other lost her own when the Babamik, taking advantage of the chaos, pulled her infant daughter from her arms and ran. One mother rushed her son to the healer, while the other chased the Babamik deeper into the forest. Neither were successful. The infant girl was never seen again. But she wasn't killed. The Babamik had decided that she wanted to be a mom, took the girl home, and raised her as her own. It was deep in the forest, far from the villages, and the Babamik was actually kind of considerate of her quote-unquote daughter's particular dietary needs, aka not people, each day, the Babamik would kill a pig for the girl and a human for herself. Eventually, as the girl grew, the Babamik started taking her hunting. And though the girl was raised with a very specific moral compass, she started to get the feeling from watching the terrified men, women, and children bleed out while her mother ate them that maybe mom was evil. This hunch was confirmed by an outside party when the daughter got her first boyfriend. Now, if you're wondering how the girl managed to meet anyone in the dark forest with a cannibalistic ogre mom, well, apparently the moon is single and looking. One evening, while the Babamik was out picking up dinner, a pale boy slid down a tree and introduced himself. The pair started talking, and soon they were in love. They had a problem, though. The girl's cannibal ogre mom. She wasn't sure if the ogre could eat the moon, but she didn't really want to find out the pair made plans to leave together. The next night, they made it as far as an island. When the ogress picked up their scent, the Babamik followed the girl and her boyfriend, the moon, and saw them smiling and laughing together as they crossed a narrow plank bridge over a chasm to an island. The ogress emerged, and the daughter smiled and waved. Mom, hi, come with us. Come meet my new boyfriend, the moon. The ogress had fought heroes and all manner of warriors, but oof. Her kid dating? She was not ready for this, but okay. Open-minded, she nodded and went to go meet the couple. She was about halfway across the plank to the island when she realized that she made a horrible mistake. Now, a single plank spanning two cliffs over a narrow channel full of crocodiles is not only very Indiana Jones, but is also a horrible idea. When she got close, the young woman in the moon hit her with oars and the Babamik plunged to her death. Mostly. You see, the Babamik knew she would die when she hit the rocks. So, at the last minute, she threw her spirit to the closest thing in an effort to stay alive. She took possession of a crocodile 
as her body splatted on the rocks. Honestly, a man-eating crocodile is kind of a great fit for the Babamik. The young woman in the moon lived happily ever after, not knowing that the Babamik survives to this day in crocodiles, but really, how could they? The Babamik and the crocodile have, like, the same hobbies, disposition, and diet. Like I said, it was a great fit. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.